The text that calls for our attention on this Lord's Day is our gospel reading for this day, and particularly these words of the Sadducees. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Solomon proclaimed many years ago, and people have confirmed ever since, that there is nothing new under the sun. And having heard our gospel reading for today, we can confirm this truth. For what we see happening there still occurs today. In our reading for today, we are introduced to this group of people called the Sadducees. And while there is much that could be said about the Sadducees, for the purpose of our sermon today, the main thing we need to know is that they did not believe in the resurrection of the body. They did not believe that God's people would be raised up after they died. They contended that that specific teaching about God's people being raised up was not found anywhere in the first five books of the Bible that Moses had recorded, and therefore should not be believed. This was something they believed so strongly that they argued often with the Pharisees about it, in our text, they decided to see what this new rising star Jesus had to say about the matter. They wished either to prove that Jesus was on their side, or otherwise to mark him as a false teacher. However, when they came to Jesus, they did not come and simply argue that this teaching about the dead rising was absent from the books of Moses. Instead, they decided they would use another tactic. They would use a hypothetical situation, which would be very rare, to say the least, to experience in the real world to try to disprove the teaching of the resurrection. You see, in the Old Testament law, if a man had took to himself a wife, and yet he tragically died before he and his wife could have any children... It was the responsibility of his brother to take that woman as his wife and to have children with her, who would then be treated as the dead brother's children and heirs. The Sadducees decided they would take this law and stretch it to its extreme case. They thought by doing so they could prove to Jesus and to others that the teaching about the dead being raised up simply could not be true. They used the outline of this Levitical law to create a fictional conundrum for Jesus to have to solve. They spoke about a situation in which there were seven brothers. One of those brothers took to himself a wife and then died without having children. His brother, therefore, stepped up as he was required to do in the law. He took his brother's wife as his own, to produce heirs for his brother. But again, before any offspring could be produced, he also died. This continued all the way down until that last brother also had married this same woman, because none of the brothers in between had had children for their fallen brother. 
In the end, in their made-up situation, this woman would have ended up married, of course, to all seven of these brothers in this earthly life. And with this, they thought they had Jesus. I suppose this same story perhaps had convinced others that there could be no resurrection. And so they used it here again. If there is a resurrection of the dead, they suggested, whose wife would that woman be in the resurrection, in that age to come? Would it be the first brother, or the third, or the sixth, or the seventh? You see, surely if the dead were raised up, then there would be all sorts of confusion. The brothers would be up there in heaven bickering about which one of them could rightly call this woman their wife. That couldn't be, and therefore the resurrection couldn't be. But you see, Jesus would not let such convoluted reasoning rob people of the comfort that only the reality of the resurrection could bring into their life. Jesus first told them that in the age to come, there would be no marriage. Now this isn't to suggest that one would not have a recollection of their spouse or the life they shared together, but that marriage itself would not be a needed reality in that new age. And so, even if the case the Sadducees had created ever actually happened, there would be no issue, for none of those brothers would be married to that woman in the new age. But Jesus didn't stop there. Instead, he went right to the heart of why they said that they did not believe in the resurrection. Remember, they said they didn't believe in it because they said it wasn't there in the first five books of the Bible, those books that Moses wrote down at God's direction. But Jesus, he showed that not only did Moses record things that spoke about the resurrection, but that an event early in Moses' life of faith confirmed this teaching outright. He drew their attention to that day when Moses encountered that burning bush that we heard about in our Old Testament reading. For there God identified himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jesus then made clear that God only could be the God of living people. And that meant that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob must somehow be living, even though they had died many years before Moses lived. Jesus would later, at Lazarus' tomb, speak the following. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Here, to counter the Pharisees, or the Sadducees rather, Jesus applied this same truth to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Yes, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, even though they died, they were still living, and they would be raised up on the last day. Now, Jesus, of course, could have mentioned other places in Moses' writings that testified to this same truth. He could have went to the prophets who also speak about this day of resurrection. Daniel, after all, said in the spirit, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, they shall awake. Isaiah said, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. But Jesus chose this account of Moses in order to make his point. And he made his point because 
He did not want people robbed of the comfort of the teaching of the resurrection of the dead. Yes, the Sadducees here were unquestionably wrong. And if they were allowed to continue to speak this falsehood, well then they would rob people of the comfort that Christ would die to give to all. But you know, the Sadducees would not be the last ones to try this tactic. As we said, there's nothing new under the sun. No, there would still be others who would try to disprove a clear and comforting truth of the God that we worship by suggesting that some hypothetical situation demanded that that truth be dismissed. Yes, people still do the same thing today. I'll give you one example. Someone might say, Pastor, we teach that the scriptures teach that baptism is the very means by which God gives salvation. But what would happen if a tiny infant were traveling to church and on their way to their day of baptism, they were tragically killed before they ever made it to the font. Now, of course, if that tragic situation actually happened, the pastor would, of course, bring God's word to bear upon the family that was involved. But, of course, when this situation is brought up, it is not being brought up as something that has just occurred but as a hypothetical situation, kind of like the Sadducees did with Jesus. And why is it being brought up? Well, most often the situation is being brought up in order to try to contend that perhaps somehow baptism is not quite as important as it has been spoken of in the church. It is often asked because someone actually, or excuse me, it is not often asked because someone actually had a baby die in a car wreck on their way to the baptism. But instead, it is usually asked because people know of children whom they love, who have not yet been baptized, who are much older than infants, who are going to a church that teaches that baptism gives nothing to people if they are baptized when they are young. They want to somehow be able to wiggle out of the case that baptism and salvation are connected because they hope that will bring them some comfort. But Jesus nor his pastors can allow such a hypothetical tragedy to rob the people of the comfort that comes from knowing that salvation indeed is given through baptism and there solely by God's action. Well, it's certainly possible that God might, in some exceptional case, save someone apart from baptism through other means, because he wishes all to be saved. That can never change the church's proclamation that baptism and salvation are so closely tied together in the scriptures that they can't even be thought of apart from one another in the scriptures. No, we don't stop speaking the way the scriptures speak, because other churches have embraced a false teaching in this regard. No, not even when some of those who we love have become entangled in that false teaching. No, we must still simply confess the truth that God has revealed in his word. And this is not just true in regards to the resurrection or to baptism, but to every truth that God reveals no, we are never to try to prove God's clear word somehow untenable through our own crafty questions 
or fancy questions or, or quest or sorry uh, fancy reasoning that we come up with. No, we deal with real exceptions when they occur, no doubt. But we live otherwise in the ordinary truth that God has revealed. And why again? Because those truths, they're true. And they're life-giving. And to yield on them is to rob others of their comfort and their life. For if we yield truths like how God brings salvation through baptism, or we yield that God has promised to raise up to eternal life those of his people who have died in the faith, we will soon end up yielding everything. We have to. For someone will come up with a reason why this can't be true or that can't be true. Thanks be to God. He doesn't deal with us like we try to deal with him. No, today, if we will confess our sins and our doubts and our troubles this day, he will not come to us and start asking us questions. He won't ponder if there is some reason or some case that demands that he do something with us other than what he has promised to do in his work. No, he'll simply act in accord with his promise. He'll forgive our sins. He'll strengthen our faith. He'll promise to endure with us through every difficult trouble. No, he doesn't waffle even for a moment, but simply gives us just what we need. He gives us the life of his son, that life he earned for us through his perfect living, his sacrificial death, and his victorious rising. No, there's no waffling around with him. There's just him saying to you, Jesus is yours, and therefore life is yours. Thanks be to him for keeping it so simple with us. Amen.